Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. We're so glad that you could join us today, whether that's from your car, office, home, church, or wherever you're at. We did have a few sound quality issues with our first few episodes. Those have been resolved. So if you do notice that the sound is funny in the first couple episodes, we do apologize for that. If you want to contact us, you can email us at loveincontext at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at Love and Context. Welcome to the Love and Context podcast. Uh, this is an unscripted conversation with Ben and Spencer. Today we're going to be talking about creation and God's design for his people and how men and women fit into that. Yeah, so if you have not done so, you need to go read Genesis 1 and 2 or just pause the episode, go grab your Bible, open it open up to Genesis 1 and 2. That's what we're going to be referencing a lot of today. Yeah, and there are, so we are not going to be getting into the deep theological, like, scholarship of this because it's an unscripted conversation. Yeah. Um, a couple of resources, and, and you can include this on our page, something we're going to come back to on a pretty frequent basis. Um, the the Bema podcast with Marty Solomon. It's a great resource in understanding the Bible from a Jewish perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you really like the Bible Project. Bible Project is great. The, um, I, have a, I have a five-year-old who wants to learn more about the Bible, so, or a four-year-old, she's almost five. Uh, but Bible Project is great. It's entertaining. It captivates you. And it actually goes quite theologically deep on a lot of topics. And I would say in Torah specifically, there is a guy by the name of uh, Rabbi David Foreman, who is an Orthodox Jew. Um, he just has a very good handle on Torah. Now, I understand he's not a follower of Jesus, but he's going to have some really good insight into the Hebrew. And so I would recommend a lot of his books. Specifically, he has a book called Beast That Crouches at the Door. Yeah. Um, which is really good. It's actually something we're going to be talking about next week, but it, it's very good. Yeah. It's got very good material. Yeah. Um, a couple of things that we were not going to address just in, and if you have opinions on this and want to write to us, that's great, but we're just not going to address it. Uh, we're probably not going to address was the world created in seven literal days or was it seven million years, seven billion years, whatnot. That's actually doesn't have anything to do with the text here. That's not the point of what this uh, passage is talking about. You're welcome to write us and state your arguments on that, but we are probably not going to address it on this podcast. We've also heard most of those arguments, um, and they are fairly irrelevant to the text at this point. Right. I would say that what we're going to be talking about today is we're proceeding with the assumption that you believe God created the heavens and the earth in some capacity. Yes. Um, and that and that what the Bible is talking about here matters to you. And with that, we're going to agree and move forward. Yes. So uh, we're not going to get into semantics about was a thousand years a day, was a day a thousand years, or, or any of those things. We don't even want to talk about that because we actually want to talk about what is this story. Um, and once again, understanding from a Jewish perspective is going to be really key. That's why we recommended checking out Bama Podcast. We're going to shout them out a lot. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's get into this. So Genesis 1. So scholarship on this, uh, uh, theological and, and scholarship from Bible scholars, uh, look at this as a poem. There's a, there's a word called a chiasm that's very familiar in Middle Eastern literature. And it's a, it's a mirrored text, and it shows up all throughout the Old Testament. But Genesis 1 is a great example of this. It's mirrored text where you have something that happens, something that happens, something that happens, and then it repeats itself down. Um, now, we could diagram this out, but I think Marty Solomon does a great job. Just understand that there is uh, there is a uh, art form in the way this is being written. So you and I, we use a five paragraph essay, yeah. right? Um, that's not what Middle Eastern people use. They use chiasms. 
and uh, it's not right or wrong. It's just different, and you need to understand that when you're interpreting literature. Yeah, and so for us, like we'd usually put the conclusion of our argument at the end of an essay, and everything would build up to that. Uh, what you'll find in a chiasm or that structure of writing is that often the conclusion or the point that they're driving home is found in the middle. Um, and so you actually see that over and over again in Genesis 1 where it'll say, where in the middle of each creation day, it'll say, and it was good, and then it'll reiterate what was good that was made. Okay, So yeah, yeah. So um, the thing that we're taking a look at Genesis 1, because we want to talk about love and context, okay? So when we talk about context for Genesis 1, and we're talking about what does this mean for the Christian life. I think very often, and you could chime in on this, Spencer, I think very often we look at Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and you talk about these arguments of what, how was the world created. We look at it through the lens of how, and that's not the right question. Um, so we we're, we're really have this story about why and who. And uh, that's because God is a relational God. And honestly, God couldn't help us understand how we, he did it, even if we... Even if you like wrote us a textbook and it was like, Hey, by the way, when I said that I spoke into the heavens and I said, let there be light, what that means is I gathered these electrons from nowhere and we don't know. We don't know how that works. And God couldn't explain it to us. In fact, in Job, uh, Job is getting high and mighty and he goes and God comes to him in a whirlwind and he asks him, I can't forget how many questions it is, but it's a lot. It's over 70 questions, like, in a row. And and can we be really clear? Like, Job is asking questions that we ask. Like, yeah. he's not asking questions that are unique to just specifically Job. They're the same questions that we actually ask when we're in hardship. Correct. And God's answer in all these things, he's not explaining to Job how we he does any of these things. His point is, I know what's going on and you don't, so maybe you should trust me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I want to come back to the who for a second. Like, so... In the text here, you know, first for very first verse of the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, right? So it's establishing that God's the one who's created, and He spoke everything into motion. You see that in verse three, it says, "And God said." In verse six, God said. Verse nine, God said. Uh, verse fourteen, and then God said. Verse twenty, and then God said. Right? Like you're starting to sense a theme here, right? You're starting to sense a theme here in the sense of like, okay. It's not about how this happened. It's about who did it. And it's almost like the fact that God speaks is more important than what happens. Yeah. By the way, let's pause there and just say for the Christian existence, that is a piece that if you walked with that would radically change your faith. Yeah. It's not about uh, what actually happens. It's about who speaks. 200%. Yeah. I love, love that you're back to percentages again. Um, so... And, uh, but we do want to, we do want to note things about the literature. So like you said, and God said, and God said, um, after each day, it says there was evening, there was morning, uh, there was evening, there was morning because of course, for the Jewish people, day starts at night. Yeah. Right. You start your day with rest, yeah. which by the way, if you're coming from captivity of like 400 years with the Egyptians, how awesome of a story is that to start out with? Oh, right. Your day starts with rest. Yeah. And side note on that day, we'll probably get more into this a little bit later, but the uh, day of rest never ended. Yeah, day seven. Never ended. Yeah, day seven doesn't have an end. So there's a few things going on in the story where it's not a scientific report. So when we interpret the story, what is the point of this? What is the point of the story? Like, what questions should we be asking? So God's not trying to explain to us how he created the heavens and the earth. He's trying to explain to us who he is, because if we, if we look at this historically, where would they have received this at the beginning? 
like the first time they would have heard this, theoretically, if we take Moses's authorship, would have been out of Exodus. It would have been out of Exodus and at Sinai. So they're coming out of 400 years of captivity. Yeah. And they're coming to this position and they're like, well, who is this God that brought us out? Because they don't know. They, they haven't been walking with him for 400 plus years. And there's faithful people. Like, I don't want to get into that. But overall, they, there's people who are still serving the gods of the Egyptians, even when they're brought out by Yahweh. Yeah. And so they're like, well, who is this God? And so God tells them the story. In the beginning, I spoke and brought things out. Yeah. But uh, we, we talked about the chiasm, right? Yep. Now, here's, here's the juicy piece about that. In the middle of the chiasm, uh, one of the main teachings of the sages and the, and the rabbis is that creation comes around this piece, this word that is, is muad, right? We use it to translate seasons, but it's also a word that is used to translate into uh, Sabbath or rest or uh, something of that nature. And so the whole story hinges around seasons and rest, yep. which sounds a lot like what happens in day seven. Yeah. Day seven, a day of rest never ends. And so, and at this point, man had been created. Like, so we, we kind of, we're kind of jumping ahead in the story. We might come back to some other pieces here, but at this point, man's been created. And so our design is to be with God resting in his presence. Right. Well, in fact, actually, we were talking about this just before we uh, kicked on the recording. I actually told you that actually God talks about making man in his image twice. Yeah. So looking at verse 26, he says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. All right, so that is the first mention of we're going to make man in our image, and it gives us our function. Mm-hmm. The original design is we're supposed to be like God and administer his rule on the world. That's our job. Yep. So God created mankind in his own image. It's a beautiful thing, right? I love that. Like, it's so good. I I think we sometimes go past this too quickly. The The word here actually being used as image, do you know other places in the Bible it's actually translated as idol? Really? Oh, yeah. So the, the, the root word is actually a word that they would use for, like, these carbon idols. Okay. So now hear that in terms of the Exodus where God says don't have carbon idols. Why should you not have an idol of God? Because you're made in the image. Because humanity is made in the image of God. Yeah. And so if you try to make an idol, you're actually discrediting the very thing God created. Yep. Like when you try to physically make something, which, by the way, let's let's just go ahead and point out Greek culture and America is very much uh, inherent from Greek culture. Uh, these stone, like, vigils of people, right? Um, the Michelangelo. Yeah. You know, the David, right? Uh, we make these images of these people and uh, to like lift them up, we might, we just might be missing what God was doing there. Yeah. And, and please don't hear me here. Please don't hear me downing on the art. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the intention behind the art is when you glorify humanity over God. Yeah. So this is one of the most compelling arguments I've heard to uh, say that this is actually a real, true, authentic story. So you have God who created everything. He spoke it into motion. He bent down. He formed man and women uh, in his own image, and he created them, right? Chapter 3, a little spoiler alert, we stepped away from God. We're going to talk about that in another episode. Um, and then what do we do in turn for the next thousand, like thousands of years? We create. We build. like, And we find that everything we build fails, right? Because we have because we're now in a fallen nature. 
Um, and everything's and things are broken on that front. But what God built lasts. And so to be and so, but the point being is that we were made in his image. And so we couldn't help but create. Right. I uh so my wife just uh participated in an art um event and she made this incredible, just incredibly complex dress. So um as far as artists, like I'm a musician and I write um when it comes to like actual like drawing, any of those sort of things, like it is just not good. It is not good. Uh, Tara is you got the stick figures down. She is. I got stick figures down. Okay. But my my wife is. She has the she has the the uh, the eye for creating in visual representation. And uh, when I was at the event and they were showing they were showing the dress that she made, um, I actually got a little bit emotional because I looked and I I saw the hundreds of hours that went into making what was going on there. And sometimes I think we discredit our creation, uh, our ability to create, because we're actually made in the image of God, who is a creator in his own, in his own, um, right. And, uh, and like, that's where we get that from. And I was like, and so when we create, we actually put God on display or we put ourselves on display, which we'll talk about human nature, but this is the story that starts out at the very beginning. God is a creator. He loves his creation. You're made for rest. This is the place you're supposed to live from. You're supposed to work from. You have a role. It's to be my image in the world and put my uh, my legacy forward. And like in a day seven of rest that never ends, we're being invited into this. Now, uh, I want to point out chapter three comes, but we're not there yet. And I think a lot of the times in the Christian culture, and, and you tell me what you think about this, we start in chapter three. And we forget that chapter one exists. Oh, I'm resisting the urge to jump to chapter three right now. Right. Like, like I, I so just want to jump to chapter three and start talking about it, but I'm resisting that urge because we're in one and two. Yeah. You feel the evangelical pull to three? Yeah. 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 I feel the, I feel the systematic pull of like, hey, we have to start with this when it's like, no, we got, and it's actually, we got to start with creation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm going to steal a, steal a line from uh, Bama Podcast, which I think is a very good line in Marty Solomon. The story in its original telling. The story is good. Yeah. It's a good creation. So let's look, take a look at chapter one again. We get to the very end. God has made man, and we're going to come back to this because we have some uh, thoughts on this as we uh, move forward. But God has made man, and he comes back, and he looks. At, it's right at, actually at the beginning of chapter two. He says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. By the way, preach. When you're done, be done at rest. Okay? Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Um, uh, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, because on it he rested for all the work of creating that he had done. Uh, sorry, I actually forgot in verse 31. God saw all that he made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So when I say creation is good and the story was good, and you're like, well, but chapter three, don't argue with me because I'm quoting God. He said that the story was very good right here. Yeah. And you're, you're just quoting one part of chapter one that says it was good. Yeah. He's been saying it the whole time. Like at the end of each day, it was good. Day one, good. Day two, good. Day three, good. Day four, good. Five, good. Six, good. I like how you had to commit all the way through. I did. I almost stopped at three and I was like, no, I'm going for it. Yeah. 
and so much so that that we use the word holy. We we say he um, he makes the seventh day holy. Holy is a word meaning set apart, different from everything else, right? So rest with God, life with God, is actually separate from all of the creating, all of the working, everything about that. That is something different. And that is the place that never ends and we're invited to go live into. And we're invited to live into that today. Correct. Yeah, I mean, okay, so now... If you have that foundational piece and you say from the very beginning, this is the story that you're supposed to get from Genesis one, that you are made for, you are made for something. Yeah. You have an intention and it's very good. Yeah. You're made in the image of God. You're not valued by what you can produce. You're valued by whose image you're made in. Right. You have a calling on your life. Yeah. And it's very good. And you're invited to live in this restful communion with God. And to work from there. Yeah. So that, uh, that's the place we should be starting from. Yeah. And, and to put this in like practical context, uh, both Ben and I have four-year-olds, right? Um, when we love our children dearly. So dearly. That probably sounded sarcastic, but I do. <laughs> ben sounds sarcastic about everything. Uh, but we love our children dearly, right? I do not love my daughter for what she can accomplish, Correct. Like I don't get me wrong, I love her accomplishments, the things she uh, completes, the tasks that she does, when she cleans up her room, like stuff like that. I love it, love that. Um, but I love my daughter because she is mine. Correct. Not because of what she can do. By the way, there's there's a word for parents that only like their kids for what they can do. It's called terrible. They're terrible parents. My kids do not have to earn my love. They've got it unconditionally, and it's impossible to lose it. Yeah. That does not mean that they get away with everything they want. Yeah, man. Uh, I was like, it, it, being made in the image of God, I was like, and, and this is this is kind of the, this thing, because I, I want to really point out, and we're overemphasizing it here because the church has so de-emphasized it over the years. Um, the, the statement that we hear all the time is, you're a dirty, rotten sinner, Jesus came uh, and, you know, hippie Jesus came because he was all love and died on a cross and took everything that you deserved because the father was angry. He pours out his wrath, you know, all these different things. And there's truth to that. And we're going to get there. But at the same time, in the beginning, you were made in the image of God. Yeah. And you were created for a purpose. Yeah. And you need to know that. Yeah. This is the intention from the very beginning because the work of Christ brings us back to the beginning. Yeah. That's, that's what they talk about in Genesis chapter three, yet we somehow just jump right over. The intention, when he says, oh, I'm getting to chapter three already, man, evangelical roots just kicking in here. Uh, but he's going to say, he's going to say, you know, the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, or the kid is going to crush the head of the serpent. You know? Why? Because you need to come back to the garden. Revelation, you're coming back to the garden. Everything is coming back to the garden. Even in the gospel of John, Mary comes to the tomb and she mistakes Jesus for what? A gardener. Yep. Of course she does. Why? Because the garden is now, the, the idea of the garden, the, the pre-fall world is now available through the life of Jesus Christ. And so understanding this for the Christian life is incredibly important because through Christ, that's the life we're supposed to live now. Yeah. And, and, can we, and, and I just want to stop and ask the question, why do we skip over one and two? Oh, so... Yeah. Like, I mean, like, so like if we're starting as the story at three and we're just already a little ways into the story, but we're like, hey, we're going to start at chapter three, but we skip over one and two. 
The reality is Gospel of John, very first part, he echoes back to chapter one and two. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Yeah, he echoes back to John Genesis one and two. He doesn't. He doesn't start off by saying, "Hey, you're a horrible sinner. You need forgiveness." He he actually in and side note, John's writing to a group of people uh, who um, were not Jewish. Like they may have had some Jews in there, but. Uh, it was a lot of Gentile believers who didn't have a big Jewish faith background. So he's writing to them, and he doesn't start with, hey, you're a sinner. Right. He starts with, hey, the one who came in Jesus was with God in the beginning when he created everything, and everything is good. Right. You're going to see throughout the Gospel of John, he's making a lot of Jewish references that he knows the Jews will catch and explain to the Gentiles around him. Yep. And he's also addressing the pagan culture directly at the same time because John is just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Like, it's almost like he had help. Yeah. Um, so coming back to this idea, right? So you're created for a purpose. You're created to to live from this purpose. You're created in the image of God. And not only you're created in the image of God, but Spencer's created in the image of God. So when I interact with Spencer, why do I... Oh, let's come back to Jesus' big thing, okay? Because we talked about this in our intro podcast. You were going to love God and love our neighbor. Yeah. Right? So why do I love my neighbor as myself? Because like myself, they are the image of God. Yeah. And when you see somebody, like whoever they are, drug addict, uh, abusive husband, um, I'm trying to think of like terrible people, terrorist, um, but all of these people, we look at them and we see not who they are today, but who they can be through the redemptive work of Christ and as the image of God. Yeah. Being made in the image of God, it's it's a, oh man, it's tough, right? Like, and the reason I say it's tough is because I have neighbors, and when I say neighbors, like people in my community that I'm like, man, they're really hard to love. Right. And, but that doesn't matter because they are made in the image of God and I am called to love them. Correct, correct. And uh, and so, and and when you start viewing it this way and you start thinking of, okay, what happens when I don't love those who are made in the image of God? Well, I can tell you exactly what you look like. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so then we as believers, we wonder, we wonder like, well, man, why don't people want more of what we have? Yeah. And it's like, well, because you're not loving those who are made in the image of God. Right. And in turn, if you're not loving them, what are you doing? Right. We talked about today, um, I was closing out as in the Gospel of John. So you already know love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then Jesus says, a new command I give to you. You're not going to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. You're going to love each other as I have loved you. Yeah. And I was talking about that at church and I was sitting there. I was like, man, I feel conviction. Uh-huh. I was like, cause it's not even just how I love myself. It's beyond that because we're going to talk about what God does. But even in the story of the creation, it's littered with love of God all over it. Funny side note to this. I was supposed to go up on stage and play guitar and I was just so like into what, pastor was saying and what Ben was saying. I was like, yeah, this is right on. Then afterwards, Ben was like, where were you? And I was like, I felt very <laughs> alone because he's supposed to, you know, go back there and play those, those lilting guitar lines. And I was like, I'm so lonely. <laughs> like I was up there by myself, but you know what? Uh, Spirit of God showed up. No, yeah. hundred percent. So, okay. Let's come back to, come back to Genesis. You're going to hear us ramble a lot. Hopefully when we edit it, we'll, we'll seem more coherent. Um, so, God says, uh, it's very good, it's very good, it's very good. So one of the things that I want to talk about here is, this, so we were talking about function, right? Yeah. So uh, 
understanding that you have a job, right? Uh, your job is to be the image of God. It's his image in you. And he's the one that accomplishes it. Yeah. But you do have a job. You got to show up, right? And um, one step further than that, he then talks about um, how he makes man, right? Because you're created for rest. You're created to rule. You're created to go and, and do all these different things. So what it actually says here in, uh, in Genesis 1, and we'll go in verse, uh, let's see here. We're in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, let's talk about what's going on in Hebrew here. Image, uh, so God created mankind in his own image. Okay, mankind is one is singular, right? Yep. In the image of God, he created them, singular. singular. Male and female, he created them, plural. Okay, so people are going to be really uncomfortable with this, but the first time God mentions the division of sexes, he says that men and women together are the image of God. Yes. Man is not the image of God. Woman is not the image of God. Man and woman together are the image of God. Yes. And after he says that, he looks back on creation. He says, this is very good. Right? Yep. So our job in being the image of God is also to recognize. Now, now I think there's application. Of course, you can say, oh, well, husbands and wives, you know, all those different things. I think that's appropriate. Can we touch on the marriage marriage portion just for a moment? Yeah, yeah. Well, and husbands and wives, but more. Uh, let's, uh, sorry, real quick. Let me, yep. let me finish that thought and then let's go jump to marriage real quick. Yeah. Uh, we talk about, you know, husbands and wives, and I think that's that's a, a totally appropriate reaction, but we're also talking about community. Yeah. That community of men and women together are the image of God. We represent God together. Yeah. So as as I read this and as I look at this, like one of the things that pops to mind is uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul's like, hey, it's better for you to stay single, right? And so we, you read that and you're like, well, how does that fit into the image of man and woman being the, or the uh, idea of man and woman being the image of God together, right? This isn't as much about marriage at this point in the story. And this, we've heard, I mean, how many times have you gone to a wedding and you've heard something from Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 mentioned in the context of marriage? There's some context there, but this isn't more so in the context of community and fellowship with God together, Right. It's, right. it, it's actually would be closer related to a church context than a marriage context. Well, we see that all happening all throughout scripture. Yeah. Like Paul uses husband and wife to reference uh, Christ in the church all the time. All the time. All the time. I do find it interesting. Uh, something I was just noticing as you were talking and reading. The first command God gives them after creation. Yeah. Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. Can only be done together. Yeah. Right. Now, of course, um, there, of course, there's a sexual connotation, right? Because you have to have sex in order to produce babies. Um, hopefully, nobody's surprised by that. Um, but uh, right after it says, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the seas and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, those you could do by yourself, right? You could do those by yourself. You could subjugate women or men, depending on the historical perspective. But you can't be fruitful and multiply without the other. And I think there's a reason for that. Yeah. You cannot fill the earth without the other. No. You got to have both. And they're both the image of God and they both have a function. Now, I want to talk about this because everything from this point forward, because people are going to write to us about 1 Timothy, they're going to write to us about 1 Corinthians, 
and what Paul says when they take him out of context. You're going to talk about that constantly. From the very beginning, God says, both of you are very important to maintaining the image of God, and together you represent the image of God. So everything that comes after this is based on this predication. And if you write to us saying, well, Paul says, wives submit to your husbands, I'm like, okay. And he also says, hey, husbands, lay down your life for your wives, just as Christ laid down his life for you. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're going to say that, it's like, like me being a man, I listen to that. I'm like, it sounds like the easier job is, is not my job. So, okay. So why, why is that really important? Why am I hitting this as, as such a stickler? Because we have to talk about foundational things. You have to understand you're made in the image of God. You have to understand you were created for rest. You have to understand you have a function to to forward the the uh, rule of God into the world, to fill the earth and subdue it, to grow the garden, right? And you're not supposed to do it alone. You're supposed to do it in community. In fact, even if you disagree with me, I'm going to talk about chapter two. Yeah. So chapter two, they take a step back, and I don't want to talk about some literary things going on. Check out the Bible pod, uh, Bible Project, Bama Podcast. They have some great stuff. But one of the things I find interesting in chapter two is God tells us that he's not enough. Oh, you should get hate mail for that. Oh, yeah. I know, I know, I know, right? Uh, okay, so hear what I'm saying here. I was trying so, to think of something productive to say, and I'm like, no, that's just going to get hate mail. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, so what God says here is it says that he is walking with Adam. Yeah. Right? He is communing with Adam on a daily basis, walking, communing, doing all these different things, right? And uh, God looks at him and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Okay? So, the end of chapter one, it's very good. Everything is very good. It's been good, 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 good. And God says, hey, man, you're walking with me by yourself, and it's not good. You need something else. Chapter 2, verse 18, if you guys are wondering. Yeah. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. And I think that makes people wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, chapter 2 is actually a great example of how chapter 1 probably doesn't work the way you think it does. Neither does chapter 2. These are stories that are talking to us about who God is, and why he did things his way. Yeah. And we need to understand that. If you want to believe he, they literally happened this way, I think that's totally acceptable. If you have some questions, but you accept by faith that God is setting up some things intentionally for you to understand, we can have grace with that. Most likely we're going to get to heaven and both of us are wrong. Yeah. And, and if you are, I just want to pause here and just say, okay, let's just talk disagreements for a second. If you're like, man, I really disagree. Uh, there's points on the creation story that actually Ben and I disagree about. Correct. And we're sitting here talking about it together because we're like, that's not... It's not the point. It's not the point of what's yeah. going on here. Yeah, we actually have fun in our disagreement because we actually push each other to grow. Uh-huh. Even though I'm right and he still has to come around to a few points. But My, my yeah. thinking is he's entitled to his wrong opinion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, I, think it's, I think it's interesting here also. Um, one of the things I want to say in pro-women category, um, God says that there is no suitable helper found for Adam, uh, Edzer Connecto. Yeah. Right? In other words, like, so it's the force that opposes, right? Is, is that's or connecto in, uh, in Hebrew. But beyond that, most commonly referred to as Edzer connecto in the Bible is God himself. Yeah. So mm-hmm. God says, God says, man, there's no Edzer connecto for you. So I got to pull it out of you. Right. And so, and then thinking of, and then putting it in the context of, okay, the same language that was used to describe a woman as a helper is the same language that is used to describe God as our helper. 
Yeah. That relationship is supposed to be real important. Yeah. And I would never think to de- relegating God to a subservient role. No. Though, I would say that we've done that in our churches a lot. We have. We we try to construct these boxes that we put God in and say, God, you're going to work in these ways because that's how I understand things. Well, I love it. I love it when churches do that because it's just like, dude, it's only a matter of time yeah. before th- before God blows outside the box and is like, that was cute that you think you could t- contain me. It, it's one of those things where I think God waits to hear those things and he's like, ah, I'm going to show you some stuff. So in, in case you are thinking like, man, maybe does maybe my church puts God in a box. Like, I'm not dogging on your church or anything. Like no, that. but I think that they're faithful in following yeah. God. Yeah, I don't like, I think a lot of churches that do put God in a box are faithfully trying to follow God to the best of their ability. Um, but when you put God in a box, it's like trying to contain a lion with a cardboard box. Like, it's just not going to work. Well, I don't think we do it intentionally either. No. Uh, I'm like, and that, if anything, in these conversations, what we're trying to do is be intentional about what we do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like most churches, most Christians, when they do these things, they do them because they've just heard them repeat it over and over again. And they never stop to think about what is the point of the story? Yeah. What is, why does this apply to me as a Christian today? Mm-hmm. Right? So God says there's no suitable helper and he pulls, he puts man into a sleep and he pulls uh, the man's rib, which actually the rib isn't actually a real word. It's like he just pulls a piece out of him. Right? Uh, we've translated a rib, but it doesn't actually mean rib. It's, it's a weird thing in Hebrew. Um, but then he closes it up and then he made woman from uh, the piece and he brought her to man. And the, the interesting thing is I love this perspective from Adam. So he's going to name Eve. And by the way, um, like you really need to check out uh, before he named is she is named Eve. She is named woman it says right here. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Okay. Her name is not Eve at this point. Do you know when her name turns to Eve? Later in the story. Yeah. Later in the story. Chapter three. Go read your Bible. Her name gets changed to Eve. And you know why her name becomes Eve? Adam says, because she will be the mother of all living. Okay? She's going to be the mother of all the living. And so here she's valued because she was bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, and taken out. And she will be called woman, Isha, for she was taken out of man, Ish. That's the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And now she's valued because she's the mother of all living. So you've now gone from being valued for who you are. Now you're valued for what you can produce. And correct me if I'm wrong. Adam's not referred to as Adam. Uh-uh. In Genesis 1 2, he's referred to as man. Yeah, we, we put Adam. Yeah. But Adam is just uh, man, or ra- actually it's rather dust. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Adam is actually Hebrew for man. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so like you actually use it uh, like... With uh, the whole idea of man and woman, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but he doesn't have a name either. Mm-hmm. His name is Man. Yeah. Which I mean, I call a lot of people Man. I was like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" Especially if I don't remember your name, right? Oh, I probably shouldn't have said that on the podcast. Now people are gonna be like, "Does he remember my name?" I probably do. I served at a church for a while where the pastor couldn't remember your name. He called you buddy. And people caught on to that. So, like, we would show up with name tags that said buddy. And so then he would, like, walk up to cool. us and, like, oh, you got a name tag on. We'd be like, hey, buddy. He'd be like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. Ah, uh, you got me there. Yeah. So, 
this uh this story you know i mean i think i think chapter one and two there's there's so many things and we're kind of just skipping a stone across the surface so for the purpose of our podcast where we're talking about love and context yeah we got to understand that the intention of god from the very beginning is he says i need to put you in the best possible position to forward my life into the world yeah i want to partner with humanity i don't know why he wants to do it he just does Mm -hmm. that's how he wants to do it probably because he's a father and fathers like doing that stuff yeah I mean, like, there's things I do with my daughter that I'm like, I really like, this is not an activity I enjoy at all. But the fact that I'm doing it with my daughter is huge. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, and so, like, if you're going to write and be like, well, why did God create a man and woman? I was like, I don't know. But what I can tell you is he created them. Right. Right. You know, one of the, I'm reminded of a story, and I shared this in a, in a uh, message uh, about a year ago. Um, it's from John Tyson from his book, The Intentional Father, which you should read because it's great. Uh, but he tells a, tells a parable about a farmer who is uh, installing a fence with his two kids. And a guy drives by, and he sees these kids. They're like five and four. You know, they're young kids. They're, they're boys. They're, you know, doing what boys do, and they're putting in the post, but they're like, they pull one side out, and the other side goes out. And, you know, you can just imagine what that looks like when they're trying to build the fence. And the guy stops, and he's chatting with the farmer, and he says, he says, yeah, why are you... Um, why do you have your kids out here doing this? It's like, surely, you know, you're on a timeline. I know harvest is coming up. You got to be uh, doing this quicker. You know, you could do it a lot faster. And the farmer looks at him. He says, oh, you were under the impression that I'm building a fence. I'm actually raising my sons. Yep. Yeah. And I think sometimes we look and we're like, God is building a fence. And I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. He's raising sons and daughters. Yeah. Because for him, you being raised correctly matters more in the world than anything else. Uh-huh. And, and so uh, as you're saying that, I'm thinking like, okay, how patient are good parents with their kids? Right. Like how how long suffering with their patients are they? Right. Because, I mean, for me, I like to get things done. Right. I like to try to get them done efficiently. I like to... I have usually when I jump into a project, I have a way I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this way. This is how it's going to happen. I got all that lined out. And then somebody I love steps in and is like, I'm going to help you. And the next thing I know, I can't find my tools or whatnot. And I'm like, but the point being is I can either get frustrated because I'm not doing the project my way. Sure. Or I could slow down and be like, hey, this is going to take twice as long. But I get a chance to be a good parent. Right. In this moment. One, if you, as um, a good father, yeah, right, especially uh, like you're a good father. Well, I'm glad you think that. Yeah. Well, okay, okay. You're an okay father. You're like on the yeah, you know, uh, you're on the verge. All right. Yeah. Hey, you know how like they have those things where it's like both green and yellow. You're like right about to cross green. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. I'll take it. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> um, but if that's you. What do you think God's like? Yeah. You know, um, I, I love when people get controversial about music in the church. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm just going to throw, uh, I'm going to throw a piece of music out there that people really, it, it stirred up a lot of fires. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. Mm-hmm. And people say that God is not reckless. I was like, listen, he bankrupted heaven to redeem you back to himself. Jesus told a parable about a farmer leaving 99 sheep to go find the one. That's reckless. You want to do that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then he has a party, and he probably slaughters a bunch of sheep that aren't the one. Okay. So the thing that the thing that makes me laugh, you know, right? <laughs> the thing that makes me laugh about like when people like make the claim of like, oh, God's love isn't like God's not reckless, right? It's like, well, okay, actually, his love is very reckless in the sense of that he is going to do everything he can for uh, to give us every opportunity to say yes to being with him. Correct. And so, and then he's literally going to say over my dead body. Yeah. Here's the funny part, though. We've made movies that have nothing to do with God that paint that exact same picture. Right. Like you think of the movie, uh, like Taken by Liam, with Liam Neeson. Uh huh. Right. Like his daughter gets kidnapped and he's like, I am, doesn't matter who's in my life. I will find you. I will find you. Yeah. And I will give you a hug. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's the, uh, the, the edited version. But that, that's the father's love. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter. I'm going to find my kid and I'm going to bring them home. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it costs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what gets in the way. If I get hurt in the process, but they still come home. Yeah. And I think part of the problem that people have with the word reckless is they start to uh, put it with careless. Um, no, it's not that at all. Yeah. I don't think it's careless at all. Reckless means that you don't care about the cost. Yeah. When you're looking at the benefit. So yeah. Reckless driving. Right. Yeah. Right. So let's just take reckless driving because I think that's one of the places we use reckless more than others. The whole thing about reckless driving is you are completely ambivalent about everything around you in pursuit of your goal. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is that you want to drive the way you want to drive. You want to go fast. You want to go on the curb. You want to yeah. drive up a, a slide at the playground. I don't, I don't know. Something mm-hmm. like that. Right. Like it means that with your goal, what you're trying to achieve is the utmost importance and everything else doesn't matter. Yeah. I I got to be honest with you. Sounds a lot like God coming after us with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? Sounds a lot like a guy who uh, takes on the sins of the world, come back, defeats death, and then pours the Holy Spirit into all his people. Yeah. And there's a difference between uh, like self-interested recklessness or, or uh, recklessness that's targeted towards being selfless towards others. Right. Right? right. Like, like you can be totally reckless in your self pursuit to better yourself, have more money, whatnot, and hurt a lot of people along the way. Or you can be totally reckless in your pursuit of making sure that everybody in your life is well cared for, well loved, that they know who Jesus is, not just through words, but through how you love them. Like that's a that's a level of recklessness that I think we as a church have lost. Right. So if we take this back to Genesis. Yeah. Right. Wait, this ties into Genesis? Oh, yeah. Okay, sweet. <laughs> Sargasm. So if we take this back to Genesis, right? And we talk about, uh, so would you agree that God knew what was going to happen before it happened? Yeah. Right? Uh, that, that time is probably a construct God created and not something he has to obey. Yeah, no, I think God 100% knew what was going to happen and he did it anyways. Right. So here he is. He's sitting in chapter one. Yeah. Like figuratively telling us about good creation, telling us about the intention of our humanity, telling us about the intention of men and women, telling us that it's not good to be alone, and this idea of learning to subdue the earth and fill it so this glory goes everywhere. So he's telling all of this knowing that chapter 3 is coming. Yeah. He knows chapter 3 is coming, and he also knows that thousands of years after that are coming before Jesus comes back, comes down to earth. Yeah. Right? This is foundational to our faith because yeah. what God does that, right? What God does that? What God is like, they're going to betray me, so I'm going to make everything perfect. 
And then when they betray me, I'm going to pick up the broken pieces and come after them. And so I'm not, what I'm going to say next, I'm not going to say in the context of we need to dive deeper into it and understand it, but I, w- I want to say more so in the context of, okay, there is a lot going on here that um, we may not understand in our earthly life. Okay. So if God, let's just, let's, if God has the power to create life, to create everything, right, put everything into motion, right, and he knew we were going to betray him, yet he still made the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And there's lots of, like I said, I'm not going to dive into the theories on that. There's lots of theories on it. Go research it. Call Ben up. He's got theories on it too. Um, But he, God could have said, you know what, I'm not going to make that. And then man and woman made in my image will be with me in this garden, perfect paradise forever, right? He could have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But he did knowing that we were going to say no right to him well and can we can we just acknowledge that if you don't have a choice is it love yeah you mean no i'm saying yes and i agree with your rhetorical question <laughs> <laughs> i'm assuming you're asking a rhetorical question right now <laughs> i thought you were like yes that's exactly what no. it is. i was like come on just to clarify my answer is no ben was asking a rhetorical question and I was, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, man, that's funny. I'm totally leaving that in. That's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, man, okay. So, you know, a lot of the things that we're raising up here, by the way, um, we should we should preface, like, if you're going to have a really hard time because we um, approve of women in ministry and those types of things, you probably are not going to want to listen to us a ton. Um, or just disagree with us on it. That's totally cool, too. We're totally fine with you disagreeing. Here's the deal. We listen to people we disagree with all the time, all the time, because they have good perspective still. Yeah. So if you are listening to this, you're like, hey, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that one point, and you want to keep listening, great, we love that. If you are listening to this and you're like, everything they're saying I don't agree with, then this probably isn't the podcast for you. Right. But we, I do hope that we can provide some perspective that um, that might be outside of your normal understanding. So if we were to sum up what 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 is the christian life what do we pull from chapters one and two i think the first thing we pull is that we're not made for production like we have a job but we're not made for production we're actually made to rest in the in the the rule and reign of god yeah but we do have a function and that it's through the function of god in our lives that those things get accomplished right yes um i did I use that correctly Yes, you did. That that time you did. <laughs> you know, now you have to leave it in because otherwise yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, that man and woman together represent the image of God and that we need to value both the male and female of our, gen- uh, our gender. We need to value both the male and female of our species. And that God tells us that it's really important because even when we were walking with him all by ourselves, it wasn't enough. It was not good. Yeah. We're made for community. I don't understand why God says that that's what we need, but he says that's what we need. But if you actually even look into the nature of God himself, there we don't understand how he's three in one. We don't really understand that. I mean, there's going to be theologians, armchair theologians who write and say, hey, we think this is what it is. And it's like, you think. We don't understand how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one person. And we're probably not going to, but we do see how they relate to each other. They're made for community. Is it any wonder 
that we as humanity made in the image of God are also made for community. Mm -hmm. Right? So we're made for community. And so if you're trying to live your Christian existence by yourself, stop it. You are made to be with other people. And you're not going to find the fullness of Christ in your life without that. No, you're not. Um, so find, if you are trying to do this by yourself, find a community of believers. And a lot of times what we do, I want to be, I want to be really clear on this. Like I, I have some, I have some unpopular opinions about the church or unpopular views. Well, and you have some church drama too. Yeah. Yeah. We all do. Both you and I do, but, um, find a community of believers. I'm not saying, okay, go to your closest church. That's next to your house. Right. I mean, you can go check it out if you want, but find some people who genuinely care about you, who love Jesus, who can do life with you, right? That could be, that could, uh, they don't have to necessarily meet on a Sunday. Yeah. Do those people call identity out of you? Do they call you into something deeper or do they just help you observe religious practice? Yeah. Because the Christian life is, is yes, about learning about who God is. That's theology. I am, uh, I'm going to call it orthodoxy. Okay. We're also very concerned with orthopraxy. What are you doing with what you know? Because the Christian life is best exhibited. Your faith is best exhibited by what you do. I liken it to this is like, as you say, okay, well, my vacuum cleaner is great. It works really well. You know how I know a vacuum cleaner works really well. You plug it in and start vacuuming some things, right? If you tell me how great your vacuum is, is and it's never plugged in. Eventually, and your floor is filthy. Eventually, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I believe you. That seems really weird. That you, your floor is filthy, your vacuum cleaner is great, and yet it's never clean. One thing that's worth adding is that man was given a job before the fall. Um, and we we alluded at it. We talked about it some, but they were given a job. Man was given a job before the fall. He was given the role of taking care of the earth, tending to the garden, subduing it, being the master of everything there. He was given a job. So if you are, if you're thinking this like, okay, well, I've said yes to Jesus and his work on the cross. And so I am free from all responsibilities. I was like, no, you still have a job. Like this actually, having a job actually echoes back to creation. Right. It doesn't echo back to the law. Right. You're just not valued by your job. Yeah. You're valued in whose image you're made and the fact that you're God's kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You were saying that. And you know what prompted in my head? We said uh, you were created to um, fill the earth, subdue it, and, and all those different things that go. Hear Jesus in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Yeah. And make disciples. Guys, we still got a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know you know what that sounds a lot like? Subdue the earth and fill it. Yeah, it does. And, and disciples. Now, please do not go and subdue people. That is not what I'm saying. And if you're like, Ben told me to go subdue people, I'm like, I'm going to find you. Good blocks for Jesus. I don't, I don't care if you're in uh, South Carolina. I'm going to find you. I'm going to slap you across the face. That's not what I said. I'm saying with the same intention that we're supposed to fill the earth, uh, subdue the earth and fill it, our job is to bring the kingdom of God to the world, make disciples, and see it realized in our midst. Yeah, we have that job. And if you look at the Great Commission, it starts off with Jesus saying, hey, I have all authority. And then it goes to the disciples saying, go. And then it ends with Jesus saying, I'm with you. Right? So 
if you're like, man, this is scary. It's like, dude, Jesus has authority and he is with you. Right. Right. Like the one who is there at the beginning during creation, Jesus, right? Yeah. And who claimed to be God. He is like, I'm going to be with you as you do this. Yeah. Now, how embarrassing is it for you to be like, oh man, that's that person's on the street corner is scary. Right. And God's like, bro, come on. Or sister, come on. Like, yeah, don't be sexist. Yeah. Get with it. Right. Um, I, I have a bit of a blunt personality. And so sometimes my conversations with God are like him taking a two by four and being like, you idiot, let's, you know what you're supposed to do. Um, so I think God is a masterful communicator and he communicates in a way that is effective for all of us. Oh yeah. 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 I just have a blunt personality and that's how it goes for me. But, uh, so if I pass that along to you, know that I love you. And that's just a little bit of my gruffness that I got going on. But this, that's the thing is like, he has authority and he's with us when we are going and making disciples. Right. So last week, uh, we were here and we were having a care group at your house, right? Uh, small group. Yeah. It was great. Uh, made for community, highly recommend it. If your church doesn't do one, start one, mm-hmm. right? Um, you're made for community. Yeah. And uh, so, but James wanted, um, he wanted to uh, have another pancake, right? And he said, I want, I want to have another pancake. Uh, and he's like, he, so he comes up and he, he says, can you ask Miss Lindsay if I can have a pancake? Right? <laughs> and I, I said, that. That was a and I said, okay, why don't you go ask her and I'll be with you? Uh-huh. Surely I am with you. Yeah. Sometimes I think we're we're that scared four-year-old boy asking for another pancake, but don't worry, daddy's right behind us. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Daddy is right behind us, and he is the authority. He's the power. But hey, man, he's raising sons. He's raising daughters. Yeah. And we got to go. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh, so good. So next week we're going to be diving into the fall, correct? Yeah. So next week we want to talk about um, a couple of things that are going on in the fall that I think that we misunderstand. Um, I'm going to touch on a few things on the on the tree of good and evil. Yeah. But then specifically after that, we're going to talk about the fall, but we're also going to talk about Cain and Abel. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we're going to talk about these together is we want to talk about a few things that I think that we're missing in how we live our Christian life today. Because we've heard these things taught so many times from a doctrinal lens that we forget to see them from a contextual and and relationship lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's going to be next week. Uh Everything we say here, we hope it drives you further into a deeper relationship with God and further into bringing Christ to your community. Yeah. In a con- in a place of love and a place of understanding scripture from context. Yeah. So learn your Bible, read their history, talk to God, do what he says, and go and love people well. Yeah. Uh, there will be uh, an email link at the bottom in the show description. So if you want to send us questions or just write us nasty emails, go for it. Um, We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we hope that you got something out of it. Uh, If you have any questions, please contact us at loveandcontext at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and message us through there. And Instagram is love and context. Again, loveandcontext at gmail.com or Instagram are the two ways to get a hold of us if you would like. Thank you once again. We really appreciate you being here. God bless.